I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Brexit The Final Countdown, a weekly guide to what's happening and what's not happening in the world of Brexit, brought to you by The Daily Express. Consider us the ominous Big Ben bongs to your Brexit countdown with the deadline rapidly approaching, but the shape, outcome and timing of the deal still as elusive as ever. I'm Rebecca Hudson and today I'm joined by Martin Brown, our weathered lobby hack here in our London studio. Hello. And by Joe Barnes on the phone from Brussels, who is unsurprisingly our Brussels correspondent. Thank you both for being here. No worries. No, thank you for having us. Unsurprisingly, it's been an eventful week in the telenovela that is our national politics. We've got the PM popping up everywhere. Well, basically, the this morning sofa trying to defend her deal and save her job as Arlene and the DUP threatened to abandon her in the case of a confidence vote. Then we've got Geoffrey Cox having a total mare in the House of Commons yesterday as he defends his decision not to release his legal guidance, something I'd like to pick up with you both a little later. This morning, we've heard from the CJEU that Britain can unilaterally revoke Article 50, ending the Brexit process altogether if we wanted to. And finally, there is even a media angle to the whole thing with this indecision about the TV debates. I cannot believe how meta this whole thing has got with Theresa backing the BBC and Jeremy Corbyn favouring the ITV format. Make of that what you will. Um, It's all in all a very busy week and a great time for us to be in our countdown. Can we just start with a quick discussion about the nature of the deal itself? Because I think it's something that plenty of voters and listeners are no doubt still cogitating over. Is this Brino, Brexit name only, or my new abbreviation, BTE, which is the best thing ever? Um, it's certainly not the best thing ever. It's not what people voted for. Um, but depending on who you talk to and who you listen to... Um, it might be the best thing we've got at the moment. Um, whether you want to crash out with no deal or whether you want a second referendum, I think um, plenty of people are in favour of, um, particularly business, uh, in favour of um, uh, the current deal we have. But obviously we've got lots and lots of Tory MPs who are totally against this and you could argue quite rightly so. Um, it's not what people voted for at the beginning. We're still going to be tied uh, into the customs union with this mm. uh, dreaded backstop. Um, and uh, we could pretty much remain in the EU for another two years um, in all, you know, all but yeah. name um, if we uh, carry on with this backstop. Do you think business have backed it just because it's better than no deal? Or do you think this actually could be of benefit to the various industries that previously backed from leave? Well, I've been listening to Mark Carney last week and this week. Um, and a lot of the predictions that the Bank of England made last week, I think, um, is Project Fear. And you look at what he was saying about the current deal, it's the best of um, all the scenarios uh, that we could have, or so they claim. Um, I think businesses are aligned to it because um, they, they, I think they believe that... Um, uh, we, we don't want to uh, so have a big crash out of the EU. So this is, is kind of seen as a Brexit light. Um, and that's 
best for them, best for their businesses, best for trade uh, going on in the next two years. Brexiteers, though, are looking long term. Um, this is not just about what's going to happen in the aftermath of Brexit. This is going to what's going to be what's going to happen for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years and more. Um, and I think you've got to look at the bigger picture uh, of what will happen. That's a lot of podcasts, isn't it? Um, Joe, to you, I mean, could she have done any better? Like, I know this is a very rudimentary and basic start to this podcast, but could she have got a better deal or has she done a good job? Because I feel like she didn't get a ta-da moment. No one's really celebrated anything that she's managed to negotiate. I don't know what you think. That was definitely one of the moments kind of at the last summit we were expecting her to come out and make a big announcement, something to really push the deal over the line. But that's not quite been there. But in Brussels, the feeling you'll, you'll speak to member states and they will say, actually, Theresa May has done very well. And it's been 27 versus one. That's considered a fairly impressive diplomatic feat on, on kind of Theresa May's behalf. But it is a case of classic kind of Brussels fudge. So the backstop is, is, is monstrous. The, uh, Ollie Robbins yesterday came out and said, look, it's really uncomfortable for Britain. It's also uncomfortable for Brussels. But that is one of the age-old Brussels tactics. They are happy to negotiate and enter into an agreement, which is pretty awful for both parties. The catch-22, it's more painful to leave it. So, yes, Britain will be locked in a customs union with the EU if we cannot agree that future relationship, which could be an alternative arrangement, as a kind of wanted with the Maxfac Brexiteers, or a more simpler Canada plus 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 trade deal. But say one one thing that does strike me is kind of very similar to the euro. Say finance ministers are always arguing, and there's lots of opposition to the actual single currency itself. But you you look at it and go, actually, no one will ever leave it because it will crash their markets financially and it will be financial ruin for that country. The backstop kind of has that same hint. Britain could just quit it and throw the deal out the window, but that would be a shutdown for British trade into the EU, and that's kind of the threat that looms over Britain. I guess I know. I don't know if it's like a more philosophical thing now, but what on earth we all thought we were voting for, because this feels like a very legislative kind of this is like the practice this is kind of like a legal practicality of a deal but i don't really know what we thought we were i don't know what people think brexit was when they were voting do you know what i mean well so, so theresa may set her red lines didn't she she she, she gave us uh, take take money back take our laws back and take our borders back so have we achieved that in this deal probably probably to a certain degree to say it but Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, that's a good point. If the red lines of Brexit are what, def- if that is what this country's definition of Brexit was, how would you rate her deal against that? As Joe was saying, I would say um, five out of ten. Um, one of the big issues, the big argument uh, six months or 12 months ago was the divorce bill. The thir- Well, it's now 39 billion, supposedly. That is something quite tangible the voters um, can can relate to the so that they didn't want to pay any money to the eu and now we've come to an agreement that some sort of agreement that it's going to be 39 billion so that is one of the red lines which i think perhaps a middle ground has been achieved on we pay nearly 11 billion every year to the eu um, if we have a transition period of almost two years then then you could argue that that's fair enough that's not a bad result on that um, I think the issue is one of, and um, uh, this is one of the reasons that Dominic Raab actually resigned, was uh, Sabine Wayand, who is Michel Barnier's deputy, was speaking in a uh, in a kind of a high, behind closed doors meeting with EU ambassadors, and all sorts of diplomatic notes have slipped out of that. And they they spoke about, and this is actually in the political declaration and the withdrawal agreement about using the joint customs territory, which is the posh term for the backstop, as the basis of a future trading relationship. So has that spooked 
people into believing that we are basically going to add to the backstop and have a bulked up backstop will be our future relationship, which is arguably terrifying for kind of people wanting to do trade. Donald Donald Trump quite rightly said, um, we're not going to be able to do a trade deal with you. And that's because we'll be aligned to all sorts of EU rules, regulations, standards, um, and have a common tariff with them, which means we won't be able to charge America less to send their products, whatever they want to send us, whether it be cars, agricultural products, to Britain. Brussels won't let us set a different tariff in that kind of system. When I was working at the Daily Express a few years ago, and we, um, in the before we even had a, a referendum, and the big issue for Daily Express readers was immigration, and I believe a lot of people voted um, to get out of the yeah. EU because of the immigration issue. Um, and we found yesterday, even in in Parliament, um, the government hasn't won't be producing its uh, white paper on, on on immigration until next year now at the earliest um so it was i think one of the red lines we were talking about earlier um was gaining gaining control of immigration and at the moment it's debatable whether we will be able to do that even once we're out of the eu <laughs> I guess it would be interesting to talk about now about the legal guidance that none of us are seeing um, and what you guys think about that. I mean, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm of the mind that we should be able to see it. What do you think? It's all a bit of a sideshow, really. Um, I mean, I I greatly believe in Parliament and um, if if this, um, I mean, there's a debate going on as we speak now. Um, if this debate is successful in producing the legal advice, the, the full full text of the legal advice then that gives back power to parliament and i'm all in favor of that but i think it's a bit of a sideshow um lots of mps are speaking their mind on it and um once we get it out of the way we can get, crack on with the, the final brexit debate which is due to start whenever um later on today and then we've got five days of that and then we can have this vote that i think everyone wants now um, yeah. I think the public wants to get on with Brexit and whatever shape or form it's going to take. So, I know, but people just wanting to get on with it cannot be the reason to get up, to not do it properly. Do you? No, don't get me wrong. I, it should be done properly. But um, this has suddenly come up in the last 24 hours. And um, the sooner we get this out of the way, the better and can crack on with it. Do you think it Brexit should be published? I do. Oh, I you do? do? I do. There are strong reasons as to why it's not being published because it could open up the government to all sorts of amendments and wrangling with MPs and mm-hmm. opposition MPs, and again that would just drag drag on the whole whole Brexit debate. We've only got five days now until <laughs> until the vote, yeah. um, so it's it's one of those situations. It's incredibly important uh, for Parliament. But there's a, a wider. Do you think there's anything in it that could that could change the national, like the national sentiment of just let's just go on with Brexit? Do you, like, could it reveal anything? Do you think that would? There's always a chance. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm always in favour of everything. I'm a journalist, so everything like I believe, everything should be out in, in the public. Yeah, Joe. What do you think? Where are you? So, so I've 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 read through. I spent many sleepless nights with the withdrawal agreement, all 585 pages of it when it I came beg out. Your <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, many many sleepless nights with it. Um, so I, I'm fairly well versed in a lot of it. 
And I, I then went through what was published by Jer uh, Jeffrey Cox yesterday, and it was condensed down into about 52 pages. And it's, it's really, it doesn't tell us anything new. So for the MPs that have read the withdrawal agreement, they won't have learned anything apart from seeing stuff in a more manageable, less legalistic kind of English language. Um, but Jeffrey Cox, I think the one issue that he had to come out and kind of resolve was there's no unilateral mechanism to exit the backstop. So the backstop has to be a joint, when it's ended, has to be a joint decision between the EU and the UK. And what he what what he's now got to do is, um, and I must admit, he, what what a show he put on yesterday. I, I, I saw him give his speech uh, before Theresa May's conference speech, and then yesterday he's, he's a great public speaker. But now he has to really convince MPs um, about two legal phrases that the EU and the UK have both agreed to best endeavour to find a new solution and negotiate in good faith to ensure that a deal will be reached that will supersede the backstop. Um, but there is no unilateral exit, which is another reason that Dominic Rabb quit, and it was one of the big cabinet wranglings that I was I was reading about in the press. So um, we haven't learned anything new. Well, well, I was speaking to one Conservative MEP yesterday, David uh, Campbell Bannerman. He's a, a big advocate for the Canada Plus Plus Plus, the Super Canada Free Trade Agreement, and he described it exactly as that. He said the backstop is the EU's Hotel California trap. You can check out, but you can never leave which I thought was quite amusing. And interestingly, actually, this week, Ollie Robbins um, uh, was speaking in a committee yesterday. He was saying that um, the backstop is is uh, not a good situation as well for, for the government. To, or for the no, of course. We, so, so this is one what, what of the reasons the EU, and it's, it's almost a victory for Theresa May that she's secured a UK-wide backstop because the EU, up until a point uh, in October, had basically put that idea off the table. They were like, no, we're not going to allow that. But Theresa May's come in and said, look, we need it. We need UK-wide backstop. And the EU have kind of, that's a good concession she secured. But they don't, like a lot of countries don't like it because it allows Britain access, free access to the single market for its, its goods. And um, it also means that Britain has that access while not having, uh, doesn't have to sign up to the common fisheries policy which gives away our, our waters to the European fishermen. Uh, it doesn't have to sign up to the common agricultural policy, which we Britain pays out huge amounts of money to ensure French farmers get huge subsidies. So it's, it's almost seen as a bit of a defeat for Brussels as well. That's why it's an uncomfortable situation for everyone. Super uncomfortable. Then why isn't she like celebrating this a bit more? Like, why aren't we dancing to ABBA about this? Because it sounds like actually this is one of the only concessions we've got. So I... I... Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm what? saying? Like, where's, we don't want Theresa May dancing again. No, <laughs> it was good for the no, gifts, though. That, that as well, but you, you've got you've got to remember we we are basically this is this is Brino, this is Brexit in name only, um, in being in the backstop because we have to we have to stay aligned to uh, on EU regulations, on environmental standards, on on kind of manufacturing standards, and and all along. Um, and it means we also have to apply that common external trade tariff, which means we have to charge the same tariff as the EU. So we're forever locked in with what Brussels does without having that say-so. We, we, we don't have a, a vote at the table. We have to follow their rules, all in aid of keeping that, that border between Ireland and Northern Ireland open. OK, meaningful vote forecasts. What do we think is going to happen next week, Martin? I can't see how it's going to get through. The numbers just, whichever way you cut it, it's just 
they just don't add up at the moment. She's not going to get enough votes unless she's got some amazing yeah, rabbit I mean, this is in what her I'm thinking, hat. Is there something that's... that we don't know? Is well, there a dancing chorus coming? That's the $39 billion <laughs> question. Um, the answer is I, I don't know. I mean, I can only go by what I'm being told in Parliament at the moment, mm. MPs I'm speaking to, look at the numbers, what people are saying. And even even if there was some movement towards her, it, she's she's way short on the numbers at the moment. Who who might surprise us? Like, what could she do to calm down Arlene? Well, I think that they've constantly been in talks with the DUP. The DUP have just totally fed up with with this deal. Yeah, um, I I can't really see any situation now where they're going to. Could turn she throw them some money? I don't think it's got to do with money. Really. Like actual principles at this point. I can't remember the exact quote, but um, uh, last week they were basically saying that they can offer us anything now, and we're not going to change our mind. So that's one one thing the um, the DUP have always kind of famed for. They're the party that shouts. So when they've not, they need that cause to be able to shout and argue about. And without that cause, they're kind of a nothing party. And this the backstop Brexit gives them a perfect platform, doesn't it? So. They're not going to accept anything because they need that platform to go on and shout and make themselves relevant. 10 DUP votes isn't going to swing it anyway. Um, she needs, there's 90 plus Tory Tories who are not going to support it either. And so she's she's way short on the numbers. She needs more than 10, way more than 10. But so she's got to have something else up the sleeve, right? Because she's out there petitioning to kind of everyday voters to put pressure on their MPs to back the deal. But she and, but surely she wouldn't be doing that if it was as fruitless as it seems right now that she's 100 votes short with five days to go. It's kind of strange at the moment. It feels a bit like a general election. Yeah. <laughs> she's out on the road. She's putting in all these hours. Yeah. Absolutely commendable. Um, the amount of hours she's been at the dispatch box and she's been doing television interviews. She was she's interviewed been on... by a Saturday. That's even more intense than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we've got the TV debates that we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. Um, in a little bit. And so, yeah, it has the whole kind of vibe of a, um, a general election. She's trying to win over the public and trying to win over grassroots members of her party mm-hmm. who perhaps it will uh, filter upwards and yeah. persuade her MPs that way. But is that all she's got? It's like, is this, is, is it, like that's kind of what it's come down to, that she's like, I want to go out on a roadshow like the Spice Girls and do like a national tour flogging a deal that no one likes in the hope that a that hundred people change their mind in a week's time. Well, has it become quite a binary kind of question now? Is either Theresa May's deal or no deal? And she's kind of saying, look, to all the Brexiteers, to Jacob Rees-Mogg, to David Davis, look, the people voted for Brexit, now let's get out. It's almost a Michael Gove approach. He, he kind of hasn't put up a lot of fuss. He's kind of said, oh, look, I don't like it, but you know what? It's better that we're out. And then we fix it once we're out because that's what we voted for. That's what we've been campaigning for. That's everything we want. We wanted for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So now let's let's just get out. Yeah, I agree with that, Joe. And, um, you know, she, it's either back me or we have a no deal, back me, or there could be a, uh, uh, potentially a second referendum. Yeah. Which um, no back. one wants. No. Well, uh, Tony Bear's a big fan of it. Be great so, for the podcast. So I think she's using those those. Um, Surely, but it's more than that, isn't it? So it's back me, sack me, second referendum, or we just keep having votes. I mean, there's is is it? What what, what about this? 
what do you think is more terrifying to Jacob Rees-Mogg, to David Davis, than to say, look, you can have my Brexit deal, no Brexit deal, or Jeremy Corbyn? I think that would send shivers down the spine of a lot of Conservative MPs. Oh, yeah. You've silenced us. <laughs> I can't think of anything. <laughs> like, the chill has gone through. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to put my best Jacob Rees-Mogg hat on. I think there's a, there's a number of permutations to, to scare a few MPs into to backing her. But even so, no, it's going to be very hard um, for the numbers to stack up. So next next Tuesday, Wednesday, will she then, if she loses this vote, which looks likely, will the, then she fall on her sword or will she go back to Brussels? So this is, this, this is an interesting one from a Brussels point of view. Have they not so gone I'm on tweet- holiday now? We're not quite there yet. Oh. We're, we are kind of, I've, I've, I've been speaking to people in Barnier's team. They're maybe a bit more relaxed about the vote than we are. They book their early Christmas planes home. But one thing Brussels has been very insistent on is the deal is the deal. We've heard Jean-Claude Juncker, the all-powerful president of the commission. He's, he, he's basically said the deal is the deal. It's the best deal and the only deal possible. And that is surely a veiled warning almost threat to MPs to say, look, we're not coming back to the table. So as I was speaking to another senior uh, kind of a council official at the summit, and they were like, after these long and torturous negotiations, there is no appetite to renegotiate the deal. So what you've either got Theresa May's deal or, or what's, what's there, what's that? It's, it's what is over that hill? Is, do they take on the no deal and potentially risk the accidental no deal? And I don't think anyone really wants to be blamed for that because we don't quite know what the consequences are of it yet. But there's no appetite for no deal here, really, is there? Well, there is some um, from the real arch Brexiteers, but I think if you but really... But that wouldn't get through. That, that no, have that... no, 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 it yeah. wouldn't get through. I, I think if you... Unless time ran out, and then you... Um, I think if you really put the thumbscrews on everyone, they wouldn't want a no deal. No. Um, but as we were talking about earlier... I think the people just want to get out now. They want to get on with Brexit, get out. And as Joe was saying, fix it. We can tweak it once we're out. We've still got this transition period um, mm. to iron out um, any trade deals and any other issues that... Uh, that's, that's one important thing to mention. The political declaration is the 26, 27-page document, which acts as the blueprint. Did that keep you up sleepless nights as well? Um, it's not so long, oh, Rebecca. So okay. I've, I've been all right with that. I, I read it. For, I read that in one sitting. That's not from. But it, so it charts our future course. But it's a non-binding document. We can tear that up and say no to it. But the withdrawal agreement is legally binding. We've signed that off now. That is once it's ratified by the EU Parliament and in Westminster, that's a done international treaty. But that political declaration is essentially just an aspirational wish list. So maybe that's where Theresa May is going to try and win some votes. She's got her whips going. Look. All we've heard about the political declaration, Emmanuel Macron saying he's going to leverage fishing waters, fishing access um, out for in exchange for a trade deal. That can all be torn up and sent sent away. So maybe she wins over the people pushing for a Norway deal, where she secretly goes, "Oh, we might be able to do a Norway deal, but we need the withdrawal agreement done first. But how? When is she going to tell us? When? Like, how does anyone who's not you or I don't even understand that really? And Martin, like, how does she communicate? Like, how is she going to communicate this? Like, she's not. It's kind of how Brussels has gone at the moment. I don't think a lot of it is going to be in Brussels. It was called the tunnel, where they entered into a secret period of negotiations, basically to not upset the apple cart. They didn't want anything to be anyone to be blamed for anything. 
But so she's probably going and doing all, all this like kind of backhand dealing, isn't she, Martin? Where she's telling one person one thing, she's telling another person another, and all in the aim of kind of pushing the deal through. It's almost bundle it over the line, just get it over. Yeah, absolutely. And there was this well-known expression: a week in politics is a long time. But with Brexit, it's not even a day in politics is a long time. It's every hour something changes, someone says something different. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's just get it over the line now and get it sorted. Do you want to talk about the TV debates, chaps? Because I'm very excited Let's about go for this. It. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. It's going to it's going to coincide with. Is it is it strictly come dancing? Is it? No, it's going to crash with I'm a celeb or dynasties. I haven't watched dynasties. I'm I'm very le- I'm, I'm basically my, my posting it. in Brussels. My posting in Brussels restricts me from watching good British television. So she wants to do this weird BBC thing where it's like her and Jeremy Corbyn and then a panel and it's all just kind of very, I, I don't like a bit of a hybrid of question time and head to head. And ITV just want to do a very straight head to head kind of adjudicated over by the delightful Julie Etchingham. I don't understand why she's backing the panel. What do you reckon? Why? What's the thinking behind that? She strikes me as not very good normally in front of normal people. But she's better than Jeremy Corbyn. Gosh. She, I, <laughs> I think um, it's because Number 10 struck this deal with BBC right at the beginning. And I don't think she is really bothered about the format. Okay. Um, Jeremy Corbyn probably wants it as a, a one-on-one because... Um, that suits just suits his style better. But the the, the problem is, uh, they're both remainers. Yeah. And well, is he oh, really a remainer? Well, there's this is the this is the thing. We've got Theresa May is a Brexiteer, or in a, a kind of wearing a remainer in, in a Brexiteer, Brexiteer clothing. Yeah, and Jeremy Corbyn is the Brexiteer in remainer clothing. So I don't quite get what are they actually trying to achieve from this because it's not the public that are voting for the deal. She's what? she's got to be convincing MPs. Well, exactly. And that's what goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that it's, it feels like a general election. Perhaps it, it shouldn't be. I mean, it feels like a choice between whether you like Strictly or um, I'm a celebrity, <laughs> but perhaps it should be uh, stars in their eyes. Tonight, tonight, Matthew, I'm I'm a Brexiteer in a Remainer's body and or I'm a Remainer in a Brexiteer's body. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Why, why do we need it? It's it's great for us guys because it gives us stuff to write about, stuff to talk about. The whole about. podcast probably. Um, they're going to get, uh, I would imagine, they're going to get amazing viewing figures Do as you, well. Are they going to get amazing viewing figures? Well, it it's scheduled for eight. I think poor old David oh, Attenborough is going to be kicked off, kicked yeah. off the screens, and it's going to be on at the BBC program is going to be on at eight pm. So that's immediately after Strictly, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine... So cynically, a... it will do well on the ratings because uh, yeah. people won't change the channel. Do you not think we should have maybe had more of this over the last two years? No, no. not at all. No. <laughs> well, it's been the, the no-running commentary situation, which is effectively, it keeps people like me, Martin, and you, Rebecca, in jobs because it's all about journalists. It's the journalist's job to find out what's going on. But Parliament has been dead set on keeping everything very hush-hush. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it seems bizarre that they've come up with this kind of strategy to sell it. But um, I was speaking to one person, uh, a, let's call them a veteran of uh, general elections, and they, they said it has a distinct feeling of the last general election where 
Now, or uh, sorry, Theresa May's pitch was come for the strong and stable government. Now she's going to be saying it's all about money and borders. And kind of that is essentially her Brexit pitch to the world is we take, we've taken back control of our money, we've taken control back of our borders, and we're taking back jurisdiction from the ECJ. Do you not think maybe the public sentiment of like, let's just get on with Brexit, which I agree is probably where the majority of people are now because they're just, they're bored of it, they're BOB or whatever this new thing is we're supposed to be calling it. But do you think maybe we would have all benefited as a nation from more discourse? Like we are super divided. We're going into the end of this year with, you know, with like Christmas dinners ruined over this kind of stuff. And I, I don't know if maybe we would have all benefited from like more debate something a bit more mainstream and accessible not everyone is watching pmqs or question time and i and now we're at this point where people just want it people are bored but these are this is a significant this is more than just a big news story isn't it this is like you've been saying the next 30 years we needed more debate and be pre-referendum <laughs> yeah <laughs> not post-referendum um yeah if we'd had Let's not forget, Theresa May isn't a fan of TV debates. She didn't want to do them no. um, before. So why is she doing them now? Uh, yes, we should have had, in answer to your question, we should have had more debate and open debate and TV debates and things before the referendum. People, The public voted and they, they voted for uh, MPs and they voted uh, in a referendum to get get Britain out of the EU and now you just leave it up to the politicians to do what they were elected to do and get the best deal for Britain. Well maybe if we think about it that there's going to be an awful lot so 17.4 million people probably more that voted for Brexit and they're going to, there's going to be a hell of a lot of them are going to be disappointed with how it's turned out because they're going to be thinking the same as the MPs that are unhappy with the deal they're going to go oh, we, we didn't vote for this so maybe this is this is what Theresa May is trying to do is just win them over, win them over, and kind of ushering towards the next election and say, look, I hope I haven't upset you that much. I understand it's been a tough time. Not everyone's got what they want, but we've reached this compromise, this like fudge solution, where people can kind of say, okay, it's, it's Brexit. And then, if you were advising Corbyn, if you were Seamus Milne, what do you want him to get out of all of this on Sunday? What's like Corbyn's agenda? Well, this, this this is interesting because we're still getting mixed messages. If he turns from, up, from it might the, be on the wrong Labour, channel. Yes, from the Labour Party, though, aren't we, in terms of they don't really know what they want. Uh, John McDonnell came out the other day and said, oh, we could back a second referendum rather than a general election, which uh, then um, Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn both are quite frequent visitors to Brussels and we catch them outside the uh, Commission's Berlimont HQ as they've met Michel Barnier and various other commissioners. Mm. We're kind of asking them, and they've never quite pitch to us what they really want to do so uh, maybe their tactic is just to let Theresa May fall on her sword while not trying to cause an accidental Brexit so I'm not entirely convinced that Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party will vote against the deal they might abstain but I don't think they'll vote against it in its entirety because what if they were to blame for an accidental no deal that the person on the party that that happens to could be out of government for another 10 years without even having a, a real shot at Martin's a shot at it. for the benefit of the tape. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone agrees. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And um, yeah, Labour's just as split as a Tory party at the moment. So um, if I was Seamus Milne, I would probably just say, play it out, see what happens. And um, the, the Tories are leading the way on this and they're going to, 
get the flack for most of it. So don't do anything that uh, will um, cause labour any more pain than it's got at the moment. The one thing I would say on kind of uh, an interesting point of view that might open up for treading on more eggshells is the ECJ's Advocate General's um, kind of... It's it's going to be, I think, it has massive consequences. Um, Bear in mind, so the Advocate General this morning said Britain... Um, or the British Parliament, if MPs vote for it, can unilaterally withdraw from Article 50, um, which the EU didn't want it, the UK government didn't want it, but they're one of their top uh, kind of legal advisors to come out and said, you know what, if British MPs vote for it, they can withdraw from Brexit negotiations. Um, so does this maybe take away from Theresa May in the meaningful vote by saying actually no deal is now off the table because MPs will have another another kind of stick to beat her with and another option to go down the table. Um, but it's important to state now it's only kind of an opinion. It's not a ruling yet. But um, I think this is, this is a story that's really going to develop over the next few weeks while we wait for the ECJ judges to deliver the ruling, or 28 of them. Um, and it's kind of also key to know that it's about 80, 75% of the time they follow the Advocate General's opinion on it. So I think that's generally going to be quite interesting uh, to watch. Will uh, Dominic Grieve, um, will Boris Johnson, could he even use Article 50? Could he withdraw it and then go, oh, we're going to do that to start again? I don't know. We have to really look into the fine print when the uh, judgment's delivered. And when will that be, Joe? We don't know yet, but it, we are reliably told because um, it can it normally take months. But... They're trying to fast-track the process. So it's definitely going to be before the 29th of March, 2019. But hopefully we'll look just the other side of kind of January. So we'll see what happens if there's more meaningful votes. What a plot twist that would be. 11th hour stuff. Well, Joe, it's been an honour and a privilege. Martin, thank you very much for being here. Thank Thank you you very much. And I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Brexit The Final Countdown. If you like what you heard, make sure you click subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, you could always leave us a review.